yeah! Come on, get some of this like Montel in 94, yes. This is how we do it on the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell. That's the voice you hear, the Brian Campbell, back in your life to invade your personal space, ready to spread that performance-enhancing audio like it's the cream and the clear on Gary Sheffield's thigh. How about that reference? Look, I know what you're saying. Where are these MMA and boxing-specific episodes you promised, B-Cams? Sit tight. They're coming in the very near future. But as we all know, the WWE refuses to take a week off of programming. So we will do the same on our end here for the second straight week in this corner across from me, my tag team partner, a man who believes there's still room for blade jobs in a PG wrestling product. I'm talking about Adam Silverstein back to talk WWE. What's happening this week, man? Hey, now doing great here. That is correct about those blade jobs. And I heard your voice squeak a little bit earlier. What's going on there? That was a little uh, Peter Brady uh, seventh grade <laughs> moment right there. I mean, how, how dated is that reference in, in retrospect? But yeah, I, you know, the voice is always all over the place, Adam. But hey, strong first week on the In This Corner podcast. A lot of strong feedback, which we asked the people for. I'm pumped up about where we're going here. Yeah, you know, I, I loved it. Um, you know, my first podcast, I was really just excited to see, you know, the reaction that we got. And guys, leave the ratings and reviews on iTunes, uh, Stitcher. Tune in anywhere that you listen to in this corner. You know, let us know how we're doing. Hopefully it's really good. And if not, then just tell us how we can improve and we'll, we'll get there. Well, one week out from the superstar shakeup, we got a lot to talk about this week. We'll have an interview with Alexa Bliss, the former SmackDown women's champion, two time champion. Now on Raw, we're going to listen to some comments from her to us later on. But with no, without any further ado, Adam, let's get right into the main event in the week that was the number one topic of the week. You're going to get ready here. Get ready to hear it. A, a, a red hot Adam Silverstein. It's Jinder Mahal and the WWE Championship situation on SmackDown Live. Adam, first of all, hashtag don't hinder Jinder. Jinder. Wow, Jinder. Don't hinder Jinder. Hard body Mahal is taking over your screen. You've got some things to say about it. Let me throw you the alley-oop. Look, it's simple, guys. This is the least deserving and least buzzworthy number one contender for a major title, maybe ever, and I'm counting James wow. El- I'm counting James Ellsworth here because at least he won matches in the WWE before getting the title shot. Jinder is a jobber. He's lost low card oh. matches, and suddenly he is in the WWE title picture. I don't get it. I-, I-, I don't get the attraction to him as in this role. I don't understand what WWE did with the two number one contender matches, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I don't get this at all. Not hey, he got the Gronk rub, excited. bro. He got the Gronk rub, right? I mean, come on here. No, I, I cut you off there for a second. Sorry, but it's fine. My, I'm done. I just sort of look at it like I had a negative response like everyone else, essentially, initially. But my negative response was more for like, why are you throwing out a six-pack challenge essentially with six jobbers? That's not truthful. I mean, Sami Zayn, uh, you know uh, – uh, Wow, if I'm having trouble finding names there, they must be jobbers. But Dolph Ziggler were probably the two favorites in that match. But I think you're just sending out a low-ball list of guys who might contend for your WWE Championship. So first and foremost, it's a downgrade there. I understand that. But I got to counter you with a little power of positivity, Adam, and sort of say, all in all, like front to back, I kind of liked the move overall. And there's a couple small quick reasons here why. 
First of all, I love when hard work is rewarded. And I know this is the second chapter of Jinder's WWE career. He's in ridiculous shape. I mean, he's got those old school Don Morocco veins sticking out of him. He's yoked to the 10th degree. I love when somebody works hard and is rewarded in the same way that I popped for Zack Ryder at WrestleMania 32, winning that ladder match, getting that push when he tried so hard to sort of resurrect his career. I also am sort of, I guess, tainted by my weak spot in my heart for perennial mid-card guys. I've always sort of, like, I'm an old-school Billy Jack Haynes fan. I'm always sort of drawn to these guys who really have no chance to get to that upper level. So to see them get a sniff of that, I get excited. But the reason overall, Adam, why I kind of liked it is it breaks up the monotony. Like, we see the same six guys rotate in and out of the top-level title feuds most often. Now, is he... Jinder, the least deserving, least buzzworthy, probably, you know, outside of like guys like the great Kali or these, these giants who sort of get their one chance at the highest level. And then you sort of realize they can't do this, but it does sort of break the monotony. It's something new. And I got to ask your question. Jinder delivered from my point of view, especially after the match with that, with that promo. Do you give any sort of points to him stepping up into that moment and performing well? Yeah, the promo was great, and this is not an anti-gender rant. It's a booking rant. It's it's a it's an issue with WWE's overall concept of what it takes to put someone or how someone should legitimately be in a world title picture. Title picture. Listen, you mentioned Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder won matches. He was a tag team champion. He you know had incredible viral um, love you know around him in the social media space. And he won the Intercontinental title in a ladder match at WrestleMania, and I think he lost it 24 hours later. We're talking about putting a guy who I don't even know if he's won a match since returning to WWE. Maybe he has. But putting him in the world title picture, which is confusing enough as it is. I have no issue with Jinder as a person. If they want to book him strong, if they want to build him up to this and put him in the main event picture, that's fine with me. But you can't hold a six-pack challenge match with worse competitors, less deserving competitors, not worse, less deserving, than the U.S. title number one contender match Great a week point. earlier. It doesn't make any sense. And look, if you wanted to, if Jinder beat someone and earned his way into that match and then won the match, I'm not making as big of a stink about it, but he did nothing to deserve being in that match in the first place. Then you bring in the Bollywood boys who, look, I mean, I, I know a little bit about their history, but I don't care, and are they going to be a, a part of a, you know, some type of faction with gender. Okay. Maybe there's something there and maybe there's a little juice, but is that really going to go over? Like, is that actually going to work? Um, they're able to repackage perhaps gender with these guys, but they can't repackage Eric Rowan, um, and Luke Harper who have gone in and out of WWE five times. Uh, Unannounced, right? Like they just disappear. They disappear. They come back. It's injury related. It's X related, Y related, whatever the case is. They can't repackage these guys. They bring Rowan back and now I'm going off on a tangent, but they bring Rowan back to help Bray Wyatt and then move Wyatt to the other show and Rowan has the same gimmick. Like, none of this <laughs> makes sense. It's not good. Uh, and this is just another example of WWE booking gone astray. That's fair. I did like the Bollywood boys' involvement only from the sense where it sort of teased an old school J&J security feel that was still inside of me from the past two years. If they become sort of like the, the Punjab J&J security, will I be down for that? Possibly. Although in the past 24 hours on, I think WWE tweeted out the Bollywood boys are now going to be called the Singh brothers moving forward. I thought that was a little confusing to announce that after they were called the Bollywood boys just, you know, 24 hours ago and helping Jinder to the victory. But what I did like about Jinder's sort of anti-American rant afterwards was that it was focused, it was delivered strong, and look, 
we're in such a PC day and age. And I know that sort of xenophobe storylines are, are sort of like the backbone of pro wrestling going back a hundred years. I still like it. Like it still gets me. And I still like it even more in a current PC era where we don't see these type of attempts. And when, when we do, they get shut down pretty quick. I mean, Adam, where were you when the Mex American uh, angle <laughs> came out between, uh, you know, between, the, I mean, it's just, I like sometimes when they go this route. I mean, Jinder called out everybody in, in the United States for not liking diversity. If they want to play up that sort of way, look, it, it, it activates heat. So if he's going to be a heat seeker, I'm down for giving him a chance. I just don't know how he's going to work opposite Randy, who's not, you know, not top shelf on the mic when he has to be in the lead babyface role. Yeah, so if you want him to do this and you want him to have this anti-American situation, why not have it be for the United States title? Like, it just makes sense. Uh, you know, you have Owens doing it with the Canadian uh, angle and him being from Montreal and, and being the face of America. Well, maybe you have him drop the belt to a face and then you pull Jinder into this mix and have him do that. And maybe that's an even stronger way to use him. He's not going to win the WWE title. And if he does, I mean, listen, that's a whole nother thing that we'll talk about, I'm sure, on uh, <laughs> this podcast. But he's not going to win the WWE title. I understand why they put him in the picture in this situation. You know, Randy Orton's defending the SmackDown, you know, world title, the WWE title, on a Raw pay-per-view. The next SmackDown pay-per-view isn't for another month. And they also don't want to blow all their major feuds in SmackDown, Styles, Owens, all these guys, right away when they have a year to work with this roster, it seems like, you know, going up until the next WrestleMania. So, sure, you need to find a couple guys. They did it with Ziggler when Ambrose came over after the draft. They threw Ziggler to Ambrose. He beat him easily, you know, moved on. And I hate that he was used in that role. And I'm guessing something similar is going to happen with Jinder here. And maybe by giving him a WWE title shot, they're they're just automatically elevating him to a maybe mid-carder who will go after the U.S. title or something like that. But look, it just doesn't make sense the way they did it. I don't, I didn't like the six pack challenge match in the first place. I didn't like the fact that the, I mentioned this already, the competitors weren't as, uh, either good or deserving yeah. as they were in the U.S. title match. And then you have the WWE championship picture as a whole. You know, I already mentioned he's defending it at a raw pay per view against Bray Wyatt. Well, WWE has clarified that the U.S. title, if Jericho wins it, he's a currently a raw talent. He's going to move over to SmackDown because the title stays there. They have not made that clarification with the WWE title at all, never, and they've made no, it. Mo- and they've made it multiple right. times with the US title. So now are this they basically is, just telling us Orton's winning? Like, there's a number one. They player. are, and this is the lack of attention to detail that gets me really upset. When it's sort of like you have so many writers on that staff to fill in these blanks, it shouldn't be this much of a glaring hole. We can we can you know go against their decisions in terms of who gave the push, but when the structure is not sound, that's what really gets the juices flowing. But to close on gender, I think you have to sort of ask yourself. You made the point this should have been a, a U.S. title feud, and that makes sense. And you can even call back my bro, uh, Jack Swagger, We the People. Bring him back if you really want to sure. play the xenophobe angle. But who deserves this spot ahead, ahead of Ginger? Who has the right to be most upset? Adam, I got to say The Miz because he was fantastic in a rejuvenated 2016, shined on that IC title level, went up to the Cena, you know, sort of quasi-main event level for WrestleMania and delivered now he's going back into the IC level with with Ambrose and a few that we've already seen on SmackDown just three months ago. If I'm The Miz, I'm saying, why did you move me to Raw, and why am I not going opposite Randy Orton in an absolute money feud potential? Yeah, absolutely. The Miz is a great example. Left, you could have left him on SmackDown. He didn't need to be moved. Um, hell, you could you could tell Mojo has an argument. I, you know, I don't think he's a main eventer either. But the guy 
beat Jinder, his best friend embarrassed Jinder, and he just won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. And if you want that to mean something, give the guy a title shot or, or put him in a position to then get a title shot. So you're saying the guy, the guy that won the Battle Royal and beat Jinder head to head got the same WWE title number one contender opportunity as Jinder, and then Jinder won. So, I mean, elevate Mojo. I know it's, I know it'd be a face face, you know, title picture, but I mean, there's a lot of guys that should be really annoyed by this, um, including us. Yeah, well, let's slide on down the DMs to the co-main event of the week. Another big topic. Look, Braun Strowman's knocking on that door now every week, Adam, to get our attention. He essentially dominated Raw for the second straight week. This time it wasn't just one segment. It was the open, the close, the middle. He was everywhere, and it was the exploding ring gimmick once again, Adam, on the superplex with Big Show in the main event. How much did you pop for just the – the, you know, the visceral, the visual of, of what this was like seeing this happen. I freaking loved it. I mean, it was great. Um, I, what I really liked about it is that I didn't pick it up during the show, even though I should have. All Yeah, the teases. The teases the, were there, right? Well, the teases were there of something major is going to happen in this match. And then if you just looked at the ring, it was the old ring post. It was the old turnbuckles. There were no LED lights on the apron. It was, you know, the old apron. How, like how I didn't pick that up and say, oh, this ring's going to explode. It's going to collapse tonight. Like, I love that I didn't pick it up, that I just, it wasn't even in my mind that it was going to happen. Um, but that's it, rare. That's rare when you can catch that surprise, right? Yeah, like that yeah. almost never happens. Yeah. And I know others pointed it out. I saw people on Twitter. Oh, I, I noticed this and this. All right. Great. I mean, I didn't. And, you know, it, it was just, I enjoyed it. Um, I also think the execution of it was maybe the best ever because sure you've had Lesnar in the past and Mark Henry. Um, you know, those were exciting, but there was a large enough gap of time between the last time this happened that it still felt somewhat fresh, even though it was repeated. And I also loved the referee bump was incredible. Oh, R.I.P. John Cohen. R.I.P. What a great bump. Ridiculous. The stairs found their way onto the mat and the posts imploded as, as opposed to exploding. So the entire thing was just really well done. I think WWE deserves a lot of credit for whoever staged it and whoever set that all up. Um, but you're talking about back-to-back weeks on Raw with major moments. And you have the ambulance and you have this. And those are the types of things that WWE can use to put over a major star. They've done it not in a strength way, but they've done it with Austin and The Rock and, and some of these guys. They have these major memorable moments at the end of Monday Night Raw or during a Monday Night Raw. And you don't forget them. And Braun Strowman, I'm not saying he's going to be Austin or The Rock, but they are giving him these opportunities that they really don't give to a lot of wrestlers. Yeah, that showed commitment. Like you, I thought this was probably the best version of the spot. There was sort of two teases where the Big Show twice attempted a a, a, a superplex in that match and Braun blocked both. Mm-hmm. And I actually tweeted out that sort of like, man, you can't cheese that, knowing the history of that move in the ring. But you can't tease it without coming through. But obviously that was the build toward what they did. My only complaint with it, though, is this, Adam. When the ring explodes and the referee's knocked down and the medical personnel comes in, I think we can still end the match. Like, I think a replacement referee should be able to come in and get a three count. I know Braun was the only one who stood up and he raised his arms of victory and he got his music afterwards. But, hey, this is still a competition, right? Like, can we have some sort of declaration that it's a no contest or can can Braun still come up with a pin? I know that probably a very minor criticism in a overall large, strong moment. But that was actually a match that was going on. Like, shouldn't there be an ending? Yeah, you know, the mat is still there. It's not like it disintegrated or anything. And I actually have had that same thought on multiple occasions when this has happened. Just 
the match can continue, especially if one guy, you know, a lot of times the match ends because both guys are done. They're just laying there and hurt and there's nothing that they can do. But there's an occasion like this one where they gave Braun the, the, the bump of, you know, being able to recover from this. So just lay on top of him, get the three, you know, show wasn't moving. So I definitely think, yeah. I definitely think they could have had a finish. Um, what do you think was accomplished, uh, with Strowman, not just this week, but over the last two weeks? Where do you think he really stands in WWE right now and going forward? You know, I think it it was a little bit of what I mentioned last week, which was repairing the loss of the, of the heat and the push that he had leading into WrestleMania when they essentially pressed pause. But look, a lot of guys are on vacation right now in sort of post-WrestleMania. They're timing that awkwardly. There was an opening for a secondary star to sort of step in. So part of that, I think, is what you saw in two consecutive weeks of Braun getting this kind of push. But look, this specific episode, I mean, he's like we said, he started the episode, he ended it. He was in so many backstage moments, so many strong backstage moments. I mean, you know, dragging Kalisto by one arm and throwing him into a dumpster. I mean, that was classic and incredible and vicious. So I think what was accomplished was they really put over that he's not just a physical freak, that he, you know, they, they've removed him from sort of the look he had originally as a Wyatt. Have they, they really established have they, that he's they really changed that that much? I mean, well, not the look, but I guess the, the feel, I don't think he feels like a crazy, he looks like a crazy mountain man, but I don't get the feel that he's this dark, evil, crazy mountain man. I get the feel more that he's just sort of like a destructive, vile, violent person who's coming in there. Maybe that's a t- very tiny splitting hair separation there. The one point I did not like was, when Big Show sort of gives him a shoulder tackle into the garage door, don't just sit there and take it. You just beat up half the locker room backstage. You just threw gold dust through a chain link fence. I mean, stand up and, you know, and accept that fight. I know they did later in the main event. Very small gripe, but I think overall they accomplished just giving you that he's main event level. We believe he's main event level. We believe he's a physical destructive force. So we're going to hammer that out that he's not just big and strong. He's very mean. And I think that's important. You know, I, I like what WWE is doing with Braun. Is something I actually can't complain about. I really like what they've done. I understand why they had to have Reigns go over him, you know, as an obstacle to getting to the Undertaker and kind of building him up before WrestleMania. Really don't have a problem with it. The only issue I do have with Braun is his entire gimmick is basically the first word of his entrance. It's roar. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's him. Like there's, there's no, there's nothing else about him that you know. Uh, there's no information about his character or why he's so motivated to be this destructive force. And to be honest, his lines, like when he's in the ring, sometimes they work and maybe they write a couple things for him. But a lot of these lines are like corny, incredible Hulk corny. Um, you mean this one? I want competition. I want competition. Roman Reigns is garbage and so now so are you. I mean, I pop for that. I got to admit, I pop it, for that. No, I mean, it gets a chuckle, but I mean, if this guy is going to legitimately be built up to be a main eventer and possibly hold the title, he has to do better than that. And if everyone's going to criticize Reigns for not being good on the mic, well, Strowman's not good either. Wow, wow. The only thing I'd say is, look, bring back that choke, because I like all these vicious running power slams, the clubbing, but I think that that Wyatt choke he had in his debut where mm-hmm. he would just – he could choke anybody lifeless. I think that's a move that, look, he puts it on you. You're not kicking out of it, obviously, Roman. So sorry about that, Reigns. But you're, you're also going down. You're going to sleep. He's going to defeat you. I'd like to see him bring that back. But transitioning out of this, Adam, I did have to ask you one question. We know for the big show, his Shaq match fell apart at WrestleMania 33. He sort of had a very small role in that jobber battle royal despite being in such incredible shape. They gave him a main event here. Do they owe him 
a high-level angle, knowing that he's only got about a year left and he got in this great a shape? Or is that sort of like, hey, dude, that's expected of you? Like, you're a professional? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I don't know that they owe it to him. I mean, he is being paid, I'm guessing, millions of dollars, you know, to do this and, and be there at this age. He signed a really big contract, you know, initially when they brought him over from WCW. Um, and they've treated him really well, you know, really featured him in not just world title picture, but just really big angles and, and within their company, you know, a lot over over his career. Um, but I will say, you know, I think they could have done a Strowman show feud, you know, for a month. Like, this could have gone through the SmackDown pay-per-view. Um, I don't think they had to really rush it and kind of bring Reigns right back into it. Show and Strowman sells. I mean, is it going to be your main event match? Maybe not. Maybe it's your co-main um, with maybe the U.S. title because we all know what's the WWE title picture is totally screwed. Um but I think it's a money match and, and they could have either put stipulations in or done a, uh, you know, false count anywhere, um, last man standing. Like there's a lot of ways they could have gone with this feud where I don't think it really needed to be rushed. And I have to wonder, you know, is show going to be taking a little time off with this? Is he coming back next week on SmackDown or is he going to sell it? So I- I'm a little confused about that. I think they could have used this angle to give him, to give him an opportunity and I think it would have been a good one. Fair enough on that. Look, transitioning to the final segment in our main event block to open, it was the queen herself, Charlotte Flair, making her in-ring debut on SmackDown Live. I thought this was an incredibly strong performance overall. Pulled no punches at him in demanding the immediate title shot. She not only got it, she pinned Naomi clean. Now, there was some clunky backstage segments that I, that I wasn't a big fan of, but just from presentation, first day appearance, was this the justified push for Charlotte that she deserved? Yeah, if you're bringing Charlotte over, you know, you have to treat her like she is the biggest woman in the company in terms of, you know, prestige and being a multi-time title holder, you know, with the new quote-unquote women's division. Um, and, and I think she should, her character should have come out day one and said, I am the number one contender for this title. It's mine. You know, wh- when's the match? I should have it tonight. So the fact that she did it this week was totally fine. I thought she delivered it fine. I like Naomi's rebuttal coming out, them getting in a fight right away. And oh, that she, punch. Adam, yeah. that punch, right, from yeah. Naomi? It was fantastic. And then Shane coming out kind of while it was broken up a little bit, and then them going back at it, then fighting later in the show, Charlotte earning that number one contendership. I, I like everything about it, and I like the way they worked in the ring together. I thought it was um, a lot better than I expected between those two, especially since at least over the last, you know, year or so, they haven't really fought each other at all, or at least not on television. So no, that, that totally brought out the best of what Naomi brings to the ring. Like you always hear, you know, she's the best athlete in the women's division, but little sloppy that match. But overall, I thought it was a very entertaining match. I thought they did work well together because of when you mix that athleticism, their size together, that really worked. I'm just not a fan of champions losing non-title matches, like never a fan, unless it's a specific angle worked that way for a reason. All it does is downgrade your champion. Now, maybe you want to say in this case, Adam, we know Charlotte's eventually going to go over anyway, and she's the more deserving one to hold that belt. But seeing somebody, a champion, lose cleanly, which is something they go to the well to far too often on Raw and SmackDown, it just felt like it downgraded her. Well, I just think what they've done to Naomi in general has been a little unfair, stripping her of the – I know there was an injury concern, but stripping her of the title without giving her the opportunity to, like, see if she would actually be able to wrestle at WrestleMania – and giving it to her before WrestleMania, they should have allowed her to win it there, uh, you know, in her hometown for the first time. Um, just like I thought they should have held Bailey and, and let her win the title for the first time at WrestleMania. You know, those moments matter to people. And to kind of waste them early and either have them bring the title in or, 
you know, in Naomi's case, she was hurt and they, they stripped her of it and then she came back and won it for a second time. She's a two-time title winner in a two-month two month span. Uh, so I don't like stuff like that. Um, but in terms of this, you know, I don't really necessarily mind her losing the non-title match. I just wish that WWE as a whole gave her an opportunity to be a strong women's champion before taking the title away from her. Yeah, and Charlotte was surprisingly bad in her Talking Smack debut afterwards. It kind of felt like pulling teeth. She had some one-word answers. That wasn't great. Not a great episode overall. I think Shane's just not strong in that secondary role with Daniel Bryan away, awaiting the, the birth of his first child. But those are your, that's your main event. Let's transition into our hot tag segment, which is where we navigate a, a brief handful of headlines from the week that was in and out here. Number one, Adam Booker T was announced as a brief temporary replacement on the Raw announced team for David Otunga for the next six weeks while Otunga fills his Katrina action film. Is this actually an upgrade in any way? You know, I, I don't mind Otunga so much, but I do, what? I do like Booker T in that role better than being either on one of the post shows or the pre shows. I think he's totally fine. And yeah, some of his, you know, stuff is mundane and he just repeats it over and over again and you get tired of it. But Jerry Lawler did the same thing. I really don't mind Booker T in that role, but if I'm being totally honest, I know it's a three-hour show. I know you need multiple voices, but they can go with a two-man team. Uh, yes, with, and and it'd be totally fine. Um, I think wrestling has proven over the years you never need a four-man team. You very rarely need a three-man team, and the two-man team is perfect. It's the right number of people. They're not talking over each other. You whoever the color guy is, the you know play-by-play does the opposite. So if the color guy's a heel. You know, the, the play-by-play guy's a face and vice versa. It always works. And they could have just done that and said, hey, let's see if this works, a two-man booth, even for a three-hour show. And I think it would have. Yeah, I don't think Booker T said more than three words at a time in his Raw debut on Monday. <laughs> but he did have more words to say in our headline number two on his podcast, Heated Conversations. Booker T did address this Moranala JBL situation where there's rumors that JBL's bullying may have led to what, what we're now accepting as Moranala's eventual exit from WWE. Here's the quote, though, from a larger quote that I didn't especially like what Booker T said. He said, quote, I think the bullying rule pretty much goes away when you are a grown man and you are able to take up for yourself and throw hands, end quote. Obviously, Adam, once again, we need to reiterate, we don't know because exactly what happened because nobody is talking. I do think when you see, though, friends of Mo Ronaldo, MMA legends, tough guys like Boss Rutan and Pat Militich tweet out essentially threats toward JBL, that does lead you to believe that something actually happened. But it's hard to throw jabs at either. Look, I love Moro. You love him. Personally, I love him. I also like JBL. I mean, I wrote a story, uh, you know, about six months ago and sat with him for an hour to talk about the work he does in Bermuda for impoverished use through his, through his rugby program. But something happened here, Adam. And overall, my issue really is with WWE silence on the situation because when you're silent about what happened and you don't address that Moro's not on the air anymore publicly and that he probably won't be when his contract is up, you leave a lot of speculation out there. And when you're finding more and more WWE-related people speaking out and sort of painting this picture that maybe what happened wasn't as big of a deal and maybe somebody needs to be a little bit tougher – Look, in this day and age, that's not a strong company stance or opinion to put out there. I mean, do you have any take on this? Well, well let's take a couple things here. Number one, what Booker T said was absurd. Uh, you don't have to be – just because you're a man, just because you're an adult doesn't mean you can't be bullied. You know, we saw what happened with Jonathan Martin and the Miami Dolphins, with Richie Incognito now. You know, whether that was actually bullying, you know, remains to be seen, and there's a lot of he said, he said on that. Um, but 
anyone can bully any other person, especially a large, strong, authoritative athlete, to a guy who maybe isn't as much. You know, I don't know how tall JBL is, but let's say the guy's 6'9", and I don't know how tall Morrow is. Let's say he's 5'9", um, and, and, you know, he has 100 pounds on him. You're not going to stand up to that guy because you're going to get your ass kicked. I mean, so you can get bullied, whether it's men, women, any age, it doesn't matter. And I just find it hypocritical for WWE because we don't know if, if Morrow was bullied, bullied by JBL. Now, some people say this, but we don't know it. But it doesn't matter who it was or what situation. WWE has done this anti-bullying campaign for exactly. how many years? Be a star. I mean, they promote the hell out of this. So if there's any bullying going on in your organization or any hint of bullying, you need to address it one way or another. Either say, look, we've researched into this. There's nothing here. It's not true if you want to take that stance. Or, you know, we understand there's some concerns. We've addressed it with our talent uh, and hope that there's no issues going forward. If you don't want to fire the guy or, you know, if, if you even find if there's something going on there. So one way or another, um, you know, Morrow has his, his medical stuff and the stuff's coming out about JBL. As you've mentioned multiple times, we don't know what is true, what isn't. We're not going to really speculate on it. But WWE owes it to its fans, its talent, um, its employees more than anything else to have a safe working environment. And if you're going to have this external, um, you know, character of, of being anti-bullying, then you need to carry that internal as well. Very well said. Let's slide on down to headline number three. Fresh off their Raw debut, strong two-week stretch. The Revival are now going to take a step back because Dash Wilder's out eight weeks with a broken jaw, suffered in a house show last Friday against Hideo Itami and Shinsuke Nakamura. Adam, this is a big loss considering the push they received. I don't know if the injury was suffered by Shinsuke's Kinshasa finishing move, that flying knee, which did break Samoa Joe's jaw last year, but... If it was, can we put the Kinshasa on the uh, on the ban list with the buckle bomb? I mean, this is injuring people. Yeah, you know, I don't think you can ban that unless you give Nakamura, unless he has some other really great finishing maneuver. Also, look, guys are going to get hurt in wrestling, and there's been plenty of moves that um, have hurt more guys than two, uh, you know, and, and in much worse ways than a broken jaw. The other thing I'll say is, look, there's guys in, in WWE that get hurt walking, uh, running, Um you know, going over the ring ropes. Are you going to ban all Royal Rumbles because guys that go over the ring ropes can, you know, land and tear their ACL or pull their thigh muscle? So, you know, I think you have to have a larger sample size here. And if guys start complaining, especially on the main roster, and they're actually really getting injured, then we can deal with that at that point. But right now, I think it's a little bit much ado about nothing. Yeah, and I'm not, again, I'm not even sure exactly where that injured injury was suffered. Just bad timing for Wilder overall. But in headline number four, some sad news. As the older brother of Roman Reigns, former WWE superstar Rosie, dead at 47. Uh, I'm going to be really honest here, Matt. I know Matt Anoa'i comes from that very famous Samoan wrestling family. We all have certain holes in our wrestling fandom where, where maybe we were in or out. Maybe we had a little bit of other stuff going on in life. We, were, we weren't as diehard. I wasn't a, around, I guess, much during Rosie's big prime time. I didn't remember him as much, knew his name, knew him as Roman Reigns' older brother. Do you have any memory specifically of what he did in Three Minute Warning or anything like that? You know, I really don't, and and it's um, it's unfortunate because you know I know I know a lot of people really enjoyed him in Three Minute Warning and the stuff he did with Hurricane Helms later in his career, um, in WWE. I actually that's his career is basically the gap of time that I didn't watch WWE. Uh, I was in college doing other things. And I actually just recently went back on WWE Network and started watching like late 2002 onward, kind of fast forwarding through to kind of catch up 
on what I missed to fill in some of these holes. So I'm just right now, when I, while I'm doing that, at not the debut of Three Minute Warning, but probably three or four months after that, like March 2013, right before that, or 2003, I'm sorry, right before that WrestleMania. So I'm getting a little bit of Rosie in there, but definitely not the, the majority of it, uh, where I would be able to, you know, point out some great moments or anything like that. But obviously it's a sad situation. That family has had its share of losses, you know, no doubt. over the years. And I think it's just always a uh, opportunity to reflect on what their, that family as a whole has brought to the wrestling industry. Um, because really, you're talking about legendary characters, um, legendary moments, and just some of the best performers uh, in wrestling history. Absolutely. Rosie, the son, of course, along with Roman Reigns of WWE Hall of Famer Sika of the Wild Samoans. So a uh, tough, tough loss here for the family overall. But we move on to headline number five. Bret Hart spoke to Sports Illustrated this past week, Adam, talking about The Undertaker and his retirement. But he revealed something interesting about the backstage moments after the Montreal Screwjob in 1997. Here's the quote that jumped out. Brett says, I punched out Vince McMahon in the locker room, but the only reason Vince was in the locker room was because of Undertaker. Undertaker pounded on Vince's door after the screw job. He said, get your ass down to that dressing room and explain yourself. And Vince wouldn't have listened to anybody else, end quote. Hey, I, I kind of popped for this. I hadn't heard this before. We know Undertaker as that longtime locker room general, but is he as much of a locker room general where when he knocks on VKM's door, VKM says, yep, I, I got to take my comeuppance. I got to come down there and take that right hand. Take, take, take that two-piece. Did <laughs> well, that really happen? Or are you, what happened here? I mean, I, I believe that happened. I, I don't see any reason not to. I want video, you know, not of the punch. I want video of the Undertaker just slamming on that door, <laughs> screaming, McMahon, McMahon, get out there. I, I, I want to see that, and I really, you know, if that happened 10, 15 years later, I guess maybe 15 years later, there'd be iPhone videos and we'd see it. Someone would leak it, it would be awesome. Uh, so hey, I, beyond I, the mat, beyond the mat has to have an outtake on this, right? Oh, Come man. on, that, those, those cameras were rolling that night. They might, and maybe we need to do a little sleuthing and try to find it, but that is just fantastic. I, again, I really wish I saw it, and I kind of like that, you know, listen, Vince did it to himself. He got punched because of what he did, and, and, you know, but I kind of like that Taker contributed to that a little bit. It's a nice little inside baseball type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I popped when I read that, and I'm, we wrote a story on it, obviously. Good job by Sports Illustrated uh, finding that information out from Bret Hart. Yeah, my guy Justin Barrasso on that beat. Good dude. Also, just in case you're wondering, historically, Brett still screwed Brett. Absolutely. Those are your hot tag headline segment. We transition now into Be My Guest. Our guest of the week this week, Adam, is... Raw newcomer, two-time SmackDown Women's Champion Alexa Bliss. Let's throw to some sound of, of talking to her recently. So the last nine months, you know, specifically since this brand split, have, have really been a breakout year for you. I, I think you surprised a lot of people with how quickly you made the leap, you know, from NXT to prospect level to contender, then to champion in such a short amount of time. Was there any part of this recent run that actually surprised you? Oh, absolutely. You know, when I when I was first drafted, I was actually really surprised because. In my mind, I still had a lot of things that I was supposed to accomplish in NXT. You know, I'd never had a takeover match. I had never held the title. And I feel like, I I guess, in my mind, I didn't think that I was ready, I guess. I, I knew I was ready, but I knew that I still had things I needed to accomplish before making that leap. Um, and the fact that I was brought to SmackDown was awesome. And I just knew that, you know, I had to take this opportunity and run with it because opportunities don't come along very often. And some, if you mess up an opportunity, chances are you're not going to get it again. So it was one of those things that I knew I had to, you know, put my comfort aside, step, step out of my comfort zone and really. 
run with anything that I was given. I think that's really interesting. It's almost like a fake it until you make it sort of thing and talk yourself into it, right? Oh, exactly. You know, like being the new kid, you got to kind of talk yourself, you know, into the I belong here. I'm, you know, I I can do this kind of thing, um, which I feel like everyone kind of has that little voice in their head, but it was just a little bit stronger for me because it was just such a surprise. Right. I think a big part of, of how you made that leap and people accepted you was how natural and comfortable you did look on the microphone from your facial expressions to your pacing. Uh, and it seemed like if you are not already the best women superstar on the mic, you at least look the most comfortable. So how has that specific evolution gone for you? Oh, well, I, okay, so I remember when I was in NXT, I was told I was going to be saying things on the mic and doing a promo and I had the most anxiety ever. I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not good at talking. You know, I can talk to people. I can talk to people all day. I love to talk. But in front of a crowd of people? <laughs> probably not. Um, I get nervous, even in promo class. I remember like I used to like, get upset to where I cried because I felt weird in front of people. But once you kind of get out there, you kind of realize, oh, it's just like having a conversation with a person, you know, and I, I love to talk to people. And so it was one of those kind of things that you kind of had to just get the first one out of the way and then realize, oh, this is not that bad, you know, and <laughs> I, I just love talking. I love, I love being dramatic. And so I think all of that kind of takes into account of, you know, being able to speak on the mic. And it's, it's one of those things that there's always room for improvement but you always have to have fun with it because if you're not having fun with it, it's not going to come off natural. For sure. Now, you've won and lost the title two separate times. Like, this is a business. We all know that. Some days you're going to go over. Other days you're going to do favors. But being naturally competitive, you know, somebody with real emotions, what does it actually feel like during those final 24 hours when you know you have to give up the belt, when you're sort of losing this promotion, if you will? Honestly, I don't see it that way. I see it as, you know, evolving, and I don't really, when I lost the title to Naomi, I didn't see it as, oh my gosh, I'm losing the title, I saw it as, you know, this is Naomi's turn, you know, this is time for her character to evolve, and the fact that I get to be that person to help in the beginning stages of that is an honor, you know, I don't, I don't see it as, oh my gosh, I'm doing this, or oh my gosh, I have to do that, it's, it's an opportunity, you know, and it's evolving her character, it's evolving my character, it's adding more dimension, so I'm like, okay, what can we do from now till then that tells the best story that puts us both at an area where people are like, man, we want to see that again, or man, that was great, or I would love to see these characters, what they do next, and that's, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah, yeah, that's a very, you know, mature way to look at it for sure. Not, not that I expected you to say giving up that title was like giving up a child, but, it, but I, I do <laughs> like the way you sort of looked at that. I gotta ask you the question that is on everybody's mind. When you walk down that 80 yard ramp at WrestleMania 33, did you have any fear that you would blow up halfway down? Oh, of course. So, that was my thing too. So everyone, you know, kind of pumps up backstage. I wanted to make sure I didn't. So like when I was walking down the ramp, I didn't get blown up, you know, and I had to do like a fast walk too, because our, we, we know that we have, you know, six entrances to get through. So I was like power walking my whole way down. And, um, I mean, I was afraid I was going to get blown up, but I was the first person out. So I had the rest of the other five entrances kind of catch my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, can you tell me about the origin of your finishing move, the Twisted Bliss, and sort of how long it take to perfect that? And was there some, you know, crashes and burns along the way? Oh, 
Oh, so the twisted bliss used to actually be a move I used to do as a like a dismount on the beam in gymnastics. Um, but I would land on my feet instead of my stomach, and I always try to add a little bit of my background into what I'm doing. Um, the impulse injury that I do, which is the back handspring, the knees, this is the back handspring double knees. I try to just put little things that I used to do and feel comfortable doing in my work to make it kind of my own. So with the Twisted Bliss, it was actually my first idea I had when I had come to NXT and I was like, I want a top rope finish, I want to do this, that, this, that, and um, so I came up, I was trying the Twisted Bliss and I was trying to explain it to people, to my coaches, and they didn't understand what I was saying. So I was like, let me just show you. And so I did it off the, off of, we, we have a crash pad ring, so I did it in the crash pad ring off of the top, and it looks pretty safe, you know, and, um, but what happened with it is in order to be able to hit it, I had to hit it in the hard ring on nobody like 20 times, and then they had a, a dummy that they put in the ring, and I had to hit it like 20 times there, and they had to keep moving it around to where I knew I could hit it at any point in the ring. Um where, you know, it's safe and everything, and then I started, I think the first person, the first person that actually ever took it was Lance Storm, he, he was the first person that was like, I'll take it, and so <laughs> I, I took the first ever Twisted Bliss on Lance Storm, which was actually pretty cool, um, and yeah, so that that's kind of where it evolved, it was a gymnastics move I used to do, and something that I would always do on the tumble track and stuff, and was super comfortable doing it, so I was like, you know what, let me see if I can do it here, too. <laughs> Excellent. Cool story on that one. Uh, I assume it's easier for you day to day than let's say the big show to, to sort of fit in as a civilian outside the ring. But has there ever been a surprising or embarrassing time you've been recognized in public that sort of took you off guard? Oh yeah. So it, here's the thing. I've realized that you can't walk around with blonde, pink and red hair <laughs> and not get recognized. I've, I've realized that. So even when I'm like, so I was going to the gym, I tanned first. So I had that, you know, when you first get out of a candy bag, you're, like, kind of weird looking. So I had that going for me. My hair was up in a messy bun. I just looked disgusting. And I was after the gym, I went to Starbucks. And as soon as I walked into Starbucks, the, the guy that was working there was like, oh, my gosh, are you on the bus? And I was like, oh, gosh. Oh, no. And uh, they were like, it's the hair. I recognize your hair. Oh, no. I realized that. You can't have crazy hair and walk around in public and not get recognized. <laughs> that is a great point. That, so if you're going to Walgreens at 3 a.m., you got to put it up in, in a hat or a bun or something, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, before we let you go here, everybody seems to have a humorous story about that first meeting with the chairman, with VKM, and, and how nervous they were, or, or you know, they, are they going to be talking to the man or the character? What was that like for you? Oh, my gosh. So, my first time ever talking to Vince. So, oh, gosh, this is so embarrassing. So, I was, my hair is all hair extensions. I've been very open about that. My hair is short, and I wear hair extensions because if I'm changing the color on the bottom all the time, I don't want to fry my real hair. It is what it is. So, I'm in makeup, right, at a venue, and I'm painting my hair extensions pink and red. And Vince and Hunter walk by, and they just stop and, like, say hi. And I was like, Hi, and I was so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed right now. He's like, "Why?" And I was like, "Cause I'm literally painting my hair in front of you." And he goes, "Oh, it's all right." You know, he's like, "He was like, my hair looks good." And I was like, "Yeah, your hair looks great." Because <laughs> so I'm painting my hair since I got dye all over me, and I'm like, "Hi." Like, 
Now that is a good story. Not to sound like your high school guidance counselor here, but to close, where does Alexa Bliss see herself in five years? Oh, in five years. Hopefully, you know, have already become Raw Women's Champion. I would like to see our women main event WrestleMania at some point, and I would like to be a part of that. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that's, that's where I'm at. You know, I'm hoping I'm main eventing WrestleMania with, with the women that have helped build this division, and that's, that's kind of my goal. That's a strong goal. I, I look forward to seeing you in that spot. And, and thanks so much for the time and, and best of luck moving forward. Well, that was Alexa Bliss, Adam. Some very interesting stuff that came out of there. I, I guess I specifically liked that, you know, she wasn't as, as, let's say confident in the call up she received last year for, for the, for her main roster debut on SmackDown as, as maybe we thought she was, but she, she certainly played the part and acted like she belonged. I mean, she's had an incredible nine months. Now she moves to Raw, makes her debut this week, wins a, a fatal four-way match to become the number one contender to Bayley's championship. This is a pretty quick move for her overall when you look back since her NXT call-up. Yeah, you know, I love that WWE has taken Flair and Alexa Bliss and just said, you were contenders at one brand, you're immediate contenders in the other brand. I, I think that's really smart. It's the right way to play it. Um, and also, you know, they want to save that Bayley sasha Banks feud, I assume, for SummerSlam. So it also gives a little bit of a gap in time between X and Y. And I think Bailey and Alexa Bliss are going to have a nice program together as well. I mean, I know the match is coming up quick, um, but I'm excited to see it. And I think she's going to do a really good job in WWE, in uh, Raw. I think that women's roster on Raw is better suited for her than it was for Flair. And I think that switch was probably one of the best moves they made in the entire Superstar shakeup. I agree. And Alexa really looked like she belonged on night one in Raw uh, made an immediate impact, just like she did on SmackDown. I think, you know, she has some history with Bailey and NXT. She actually credits Bailey with really helping her evolve in a short time. You know, she had the gymnastics, cheerleading, bodybuilding background. She has come a long way inside the ring, but I still think, Adam, the best thing Alexa Bliss brings to the table is that work on the microphone, the facial expressions, selling that she belongs. And that's pretty incredible when you're talking about just a five foot tall athlete out there who is able to sell herself very large like she belongs in these matches like she deserves to go over whether it was Becky Lynch originally for the title or now on this level against Bailey heck I'd I'd give her the bell I'd I'd run this program out and give her the bell if I'm booking it right now yeah I don't know if I give the belt away because I've in before we even started the podcast my biggest issue with what WWE had done with the raw women's division is they changed the belt every three weeks like you have to have champions who, who last and, and build some prestige, not just for themselves, but for the title and how difficult it is to get it off them. So I want Bailey to, to keep this title all the way until SummerSlam. And then I want Sasha to take it off her in a heel turn, whether the heel turn happens before or there or whatever, at whatever point. I want to see some extended run for a person with a title in WWE. And, you know, it happened with the New Day and it's happening in NXT with Asuka. Um, so do it on the main, on the main, uh, you know, show on the main shows and give Bailey this opportunity. If you are not going to give Bailey the title at WrestleMania in terms of winning it there for the first time, then you might as well build her up as some strong champion because you already ruined the opportunity to make her an underdog. 
Yeah, and you already ruined Charlotte's uh, perfect record in pay-per-view matches. So, exactly. but, you know, I'll forget that. I think you're right, though. Banks Bailey does have, you know, big money SummerSlam written all over it. Hopefully they will build to that. Uh, I will take back my comment on Bliss. But transitioning now to our next segment, The Blown Spot. Adam, this is your sort of setup. This is your platform each week to really just take something and pull it off your chest and just throw it out there that has you irked creatively about what's going on. What has really gotten under your skin this week? Yeah, you know, we, uh, I feel like a lot already has, and we've already gone over plenty, uh, a bunch of it, but I'm going to jump back to the Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, Big Show situation as a whole. And I want to point out that WWE, one week after Roman Reigns got absolutely murked by Braun Strowman, he threw him into a table against a garage door over a loading dock, uh, tipped over an ambulance with him inside. He's going to sell that injury for two weeks and fight against Braun Strowman at the paper, at the payback pay-per-view. That's ridiculous to me. Okay. If you want to, if you want to have Braun look like a legitimate monster and have Reigns something to come back from, then, you know, give him a month, give him six weeks, give him some extended period of time where he's out of action and he's raged and ready to come back. Now, I have yeah, vignettes, right? Give yeah, me vign- vignettes of him, you know, taping up those ribs. Yeah. Vignettes and, and you know, it, there's so much you can do with Reigns. You know, you don't like him on the mic. You don't want him in, in the middle of the ring by himself. So give him opportunities to shine. In other ways, they've done that with Brock Lesnar too. You have to remember, Brock, his, he's most effective building a match when him and Paul Heyman are doing those promos, those vignettes, those interviews outside of the ring separately, and they're building into these monster matches. So do the same with Reigns. And if you want to extend it all the way to SummerSlam, you can do that. Now, I understand what they're actually doing. My guess here is they are going to go ahead and, uh, what's it called, have Strowman actually beat him uh, in, in a week, two weeks, and then have Reigns kind of come back for some type of extreme rules match or whatever the case might be the following month, and then finally get over on Strowman, be the one that takes him down, and then move forward from there. That's what I'm guessing is going to happen. If they if they have Reigns come back and beat Strowman in two weeks after being tipped over in an ambulance and Strowman doing what he did to Big Show, it's just it's even more ridiculous than it, it is already. Yeah, I think the idea of, of the two injury, the two week injury block for Roman, I think it perfectly coincides with his post WrestleMania vacation. As we're seeing a lot of WWE superstars, the new day included now off for two consecutive weeks. Seems like they're staggering the vacations. That seems to be the only time maybe outside of that Christmas week that, that we do see WWE superstars, you know, if you follow them on their personal lives, on their Instagrams and their Twitter, taking personal time outside of what, what, you know, outside of getting married or whatever. Adam, real quick though, as we transition out of here, is there a, should there be a better way? There's no off season in WWE. The grind is ridiculous. Some people in the past, I, I think David Shoemaker, the, the great boxer, the wrestling scribe has, has p- posted the idea of maybe each superstar getting one month off for the whole year to heal injuries, heal their mind, get off the road. Could you stagger that? Would that be better for the product overall? Yeah, I don't know because it, it really depends who you – there's so many needs in WWE. You know, a guy gets injured in the main event picture. You need to get someone in to fill in for him, but the only guy who can is only four days into his month-long vacation. You know, things like that would make it really difficult. For me, it's more just, look, if this is a vacation break, then give the guy a concussion. Don't tell me he separated a shoulder and cracked three ribs, and he's going to come back and fight the strongest man in WWE in two weeks. That's where This I'm guy going. Silverstein's like, give me the CTE. This is what I want yeah, right like, here. Like, this is what it, I want. Make it a legitimate two-week injury if it's going to be something like that, and maybe don't have him get flipped over in an ambulance, or maybe have him only get flipped over in an ambulance and not thrown off a loading dock and this, this, and this. So just just be smart about it and... and you know, there's in, in wrestling, you have to suspend disbelief. You have to just suspend belief. 
for a lot of things. And just understand that, look, it's not re- obviously real life and things do not go as they would in normal sports. But th- there's also a way to not treat your fans like idiots. And to me, seeing a guy get everything that happened to him like Reigns did, he'd have to be Superman to have a separated shoulder and cracked ribs and come back and want to fight this guy in two weeks. Period. Obviously, you're forgetting the fact that he does wear a chest protector. Moving on, Adam, (laughs) our next segment, buy or sell. Quick hitting here. Let's look at some recent developments. Do you buy or sell our pitch here? Number one, Adam, the House of Horrors match that has been horrifically uh, built up. Coming up at Payback, a raw pay-per-view between Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton. Will, is there any chance, is sort of my question here, that that match can be good enough to redeem the majority of creative sins throughout this meandering feud and specifically through WrestleMania by or sell that this match is going to have enough surprises to potentially do that? So there's a chance that it's a good match. There's a chance that it makes sense and it's entertaining. But I'm selling the entire situation because, look, there's no solid result that can come out of it. Either Orton beats Wyatt in his House of Horrors match, which is bad. Another oppor- another situation where Wyatt loses in a main event and loses, in this case, his own match um, and once again doesn't go over. Or they give the WWE title to someone on Raw after taking it away at WrestleMania in a match that Wyatt should never have lost that was seven minutes long and completely underwhelming. So there's no way that the result of this match is positive for the whole storyline and the whole WWE title picture. One way or another... It's not good. The question is, what's the lesser of two evils for WWE? Yeah, and the question is, can Bray actually steal my soul through the TV screen with some of these evil and dark things he's saying? Look, I'm not only selling this, I'm no-selling this because I am done with the two of them. I'm done with this feud. You had me, guys. You had me at burned down prayer shack, but you let me go. You never came through. Adam, hit me up with number two. So what really impressed me when I was watching NXT this past week was Drew McIntyre. And I think a lot of people came away with that same opinion. I saw a guy who is what we expected from Drew McIntyre when he was on the WWE main roster in his first run with the company. So for me, I want to know, do you think McIntyre is going to get such a strong push that he wins the NXT championship by the time TakeOver Brooklyn is over? I'll buy this. I'll buy this in a big way because I've actually been really impressed with the work he did as Drew Galloway, both on the independents over the past few years with TNA Impact Wrestling. I saw him with Evolve at a live show. I thought he was incredible. I think he's really rebuilt himself. He sort of has this dark Celtic Viking warrior sort of pitch going right now. I think mostly while I'll buy it is there's just not a lot of depth on that NXT roster for male singles wrestlers at this exact moment. I mean, you can argue even for, for female. I think overall we are going through a reshuffling of the deck in NXT. He's certainly a big name. It was a good move to put him down there. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I like things that other people don't. So I'm only really going to pop at him if I hear we're just three men. We're three men bad. I mean, come on. That that's in play. That once once I hear that, that's when the big pop is coming. But yeah, I buy this. Well, what's gonna? Ha- I'm gonna buy it as well. What's gonna happen is he's gonna win the NXT title, and then WWE's gonna call him up and put him with Rhino and Heath Slater, and they will be the three man band again, and they'll kill uh. another, and they'll just kill another person's character. But no, I'm, I'm buying it. I loved his return match. Um, I thought the crowd popped for him uh, when he was at NXT Takeover. I think when they showed him on the big screen, we were there. You know, that was pretty cool. And yeah, I like that they're giving this guy another opportunity. And you're right, there's really not a lot of main event men's singles wrestlers in NXT right now. I mean, I don't count Cassius Ono. I don't know about you, um, but I don't need to see the Dream Team jersey 
uh, in a main event, you know, fighting for the NXT oh, championship. No. So for me, you know, I, I like Bobby Roode a lot. I, I think he's going to get an extended run with that NXT title. I don't know if he's necessarily going to drop it at TakeOver, but I do think McIntyre is going to be in that picture. And he's going to be the guy going after Roode, uh, you know, as we go here for the next, you know, few months. And I also think at some point he'll get a run with the title. So I'm buying it. I'm buying Drew McIntyre. I'm buying the rejuvenated character. And I'm really excited to see what, where the, what they do with him in the next day. Now, Adam, buy or sell. The WWE heard your rant about Shinsuke Nakamura's SmackDown debut last week and in response instantly created the video package showcasing nothing but his finest stiff knees and Kinsasha kicks and, and, and stiff MMA strikes for SmackDown this week. Buy or sell that they heard you and they gave you what you wanted. So I'm buying that they gave me what I wanted and that WWE's listening to me because, man, if they just did that a little bit more, they'd be a lot more successful. What I'm going to sell is the fact that Nakamura has been on SmackDown for three weeks and we have not seen him throw a punch. We have not seen him wrestle. We have not seen him do anything. Now, if he's getting some kind of break, I don't understand it because he was on back-to-back SmackDowns. He appeared on NXT and got that massive send-off. So what are they giving him two weeks off until we get past payback at the Raw pay-per-view? They're going to de- debut him five weeks after he joins the SmackDown roster. You don't bring someone on like Shinsuke Nakamura and don't let him wrestle. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You don't bring Finn Balor, you know, to Raw and not let him wrestle. They, they did that, you know, when they brought him over there last year. So I don't get it. I don't know what they're doing. I'm thrilled that they finally did the package, but that package should have been aired two weeks ago or one week ago with his debut this week. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta really be, be exactly what you said right there. I, I don't know if I buy that they heard you, but I buy that they put their head on and at least started to, to showcase what he does well, but to not see him there, man, that's just tough. Did have that NXT send off during last week's episode. Of course, we record this podcast on Wednesdays before the newest NXT episode, but a week ago, Shinsuke did have that big send off. Adam, I thought that was the most love they gave to somebody leaving, even more than Bailey, who, you know, NXT loved. I mean, NXT made Bailey. There was a deep connection there. I thought they really went above and beyond to bring out everyone in the locker room and sort of thank Shinsuke for what he brought to that brand over the past year. Yeah, I did too. And it surprised me, not from the fact that he didn't deserve it or anything. Of course he does. But there's been a lot of guys that have gone, you know, in and out of NXT to the main roster. And he's not necessarily the one that, you know, set NXT on a course or anything like that. So I was a little surprised it was that big, but I really like the mic work from Shinsuke. It's showing that he's really ready for the main roster to actually deliver promos and, and do some good work in the ring, you know, on the mic. Um, and I, I love just seeing the respect for him because he deserves it. I mean, he was awesome and we certainly loved him. We're, we're upset that he's not being already used properly on SmackDown because he did such a good job in NXT and because of his career. So he definitely deserved the respect, respect. He deserved the send off, but it was a little, I don't want to say unusual, but just different from some of these other guys that have maybe built NXT up a little bit more and also left. Now I want to move on to number four here. On our buy or sell, our, our, uh, version of buy or sell. Finn Balor, I don't know who, I don't know who has actually noticed this, but his entrance has changed. The music's the same, but it's all black and white now. There's a lot of extra smoke. He's wearing that leather jacket. Do you think this is a better look in future for his character than going with the Demon King? Uh, look, I think it is 100%. I tweeted it, got a lot of feedback, responses in both directions from people on Twitter. After he came out Monday night, I thought, had that squash match against Kurt Hawkins sort of turn back the idea that that concussion that he suffered from the Jinder Mahal strike will hold him back at all. I just think overall, look, the Demon King gimmick in that entrance, yes, it was iconic at, at NXT. It's iconic 
if you only use it sparingly, if you only use it in the big pay-per-views, maybe just, you know, hold that to a big four. It's an iconic thing that he has that artist that puts so much time in the locker room hours to painting that with the paint that, that doesn't come off as easily as we saw paint, you know, like on Sting's face back in the day. But I think that sort of look holds him back because that whole Demon King gimmick, again, it's a little bit cheesy, especially that mask. Is the entrance work? Does the song work with him bowing and the crowd bowing toward him? Yes, that all works. But Finn's style is so much fun in the ring. I just think if you look back, if you watched any of his run in in Japan, in the Bullet Club, as Prince Devitt, I mean, there was something so cool about him. Some people have ripped this leather jacket look as a Fonzie Happy Days ripoff. I say no. I say the black leather jacket is better for his personality, for his moveset. If you want to do the Demon King once in a while, that's fine. But again... He's a babyface. He has babyface written all over him. Demons are not babyfaces. I will say this again and again. And I know they're pushing Aleister Black on NXT, who sort of has this Aleister Crowley satanic thing, and they're pushing him as a babyface. Maybe I'm just old school at what good and evil is. Demon, outright demons are not babyfaces unless they've been around for 20 years like Kane or Undertaker, and they spin back around. I think his personality, everything, buy with the black leather jacket. If you want to get rid of the Demon King thing altogether, I'll sign up for that. You are out of your mind. First of all, I don't, I didn't hear anyone call it a Fonzie ripoff. I, that didn't come to my mind, but popping a collar on a leather jacket being your move walking to the ring is absurd. And the Demon King entrance is incredible. Now, I'm okay if they save it for special occasions, which they do already. I mean, he doesn't really wear the face paint and the mask and go through the, all the motions and the, the slow crawl and all that stuff unless it's a main, you know, a title match or a main event at a pay-per-view or, or, or something major. So I'm totally cool with holding that, but they didn't need to take the red out of the entrance. The, the leather jacket's absurd. He looks ridiculous when he walks to the ring like that. And I love Finn Balor as an in-ring performer. I like the character, the demon, calling him the Demon King. I don't know if you need to call him that. But that entrance better stay. And if I don't see that entrance at SummerSlam, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. So I'm not giving it a buy. I'm not going to give it a sell. I'm putting a hold on this one because I, I, it's, there's not enough information. He has not fought a main event or major match since coming back to WWE from this injury. So for me, it's a hold. It's going to be a buy as long as they let him continue that entrance and the paint and the whole nine yards. I don't buy the whole a demon can't be a face. Kane's been a face. The Undertaker was never a demon, but he was a face. Um, there's, you can have guys that are dark and mysterious and, uh, you know, involve death or, or evil and still be faces. This is WWE in 2017. It's not 1997. So uh, it's a hold for me. I'm not going to go crazy and say, I hate it yet, but I really don't like the popped collar. That's part's ridiculous. And I'm just, hold- <laughs> and I'm holding out hope that they don't get rid of the best entrance in WWE for major events and pay-per-views. I'm over it. Moving on to number five, buy or sell to close it out. Adam, this week, Primo and Epico, the shining stars of Puerto Rico, were rebranded as the Colognes, showing off their heritage. They even had to run on Talking Smack, showing off their heritage. Uh, they come from the Cologne family. Carlos Cologne, the WWE Hall of Famer, of course, a Puerto Rican icon, had so many bloody matches with Abdullah the Butcher in Puerto Rico. Carlito, of course, was his son, had a WWE run. Primo and Epico, my buy or sell question. First of all, I just want to say this one thing before I ask it. If you're going to rebrand them and go away from the Shining Stars, don't have a match where the Shining Stars is still written on the back of their exactly. trunks. That's one thing. But buy or sell, 
Will they be back to full-time comedic jobbing within one month, despite this sort of strong push they received against American Alpha? So I'm going to buy them as jobbers? I mean, I guess that's a buy. Sure, buy. I don't care about the clones. I didn't care about the Shining Stars. The fact that they're going to rebrand someone and have them use the same trunks, you can get plain black trunks somewhere. I mean, you don't have to use the Shining Stars trunks if you're not calling them this anymore. Ridiculous. Um, the fact that they beat American Alpha, I mean... You talk about Mahal being the number one contender. They're letting the clones be the best tag team maybe in WWE from a technical standpoint in that manner. I mean, come on. I, I'm buying them as jobbers. I'm selling them in every other way. Oh, maybe I still have that. Man, I have that love affair for mid-card guys. I love to see them get the push. Although, yeah, come on. This will not end well. Moving on, a new segment this week, Adam. I'm really fired up for this. Extreme Makeover in this corner edition. We will present a superstar, a storyline, a show, something in the WWE Universe that we feel needs that Extreme Makeover touch. Adam, I will debut this week with one of my favorite superstars, a guy who gets buried, a guy who is living in Joberville, Tyler Breeze. Now look, Adam, here's how I'm going to rewire, remake this guy. He had that first push on SmackDown coming off uh, when he got his call up from NXT. It went away very quickly on the IC level after a month. Some say back then he made Vince unhappy. There was a dirt sheet rumor that he left a show early for family reasons without telling anybody. And once you get on Vince's list, you're on, you know, you talk about the list of Jericho, yeah. the list of VKM, you're done. Okay. Yeah, Vinnie Macklis, There's yeah. another problem overall with Tyler Breeze, a little bit too much like Shawn Michaels in that mold of Ziggler and these other, you know, re rebranding, but he's also got something else. He's got some Rick Martell in him too. And I think overall you can play that, but here's how I'd rebrand him. Look, I'll play up that poor man, Shawn Michaels comparison because it's unavoidable. So what do I do? I want to have a send-off with Fandango, who's always been a little bit sort of giving you that Marty Jannetty vibe anyway. So why don't you recreate the barbershop window moment, but do it in your own way within their push to really push Breeze out there. You advertise that there's going to be a fashion show coming to SmackDown Live. You have Breeze Dongo walking the runway in, in crazy outfits, handing out their fashion tickets to fans like they always do. Only Breeze blindsides him with that reverse double-leg ghetto blaster finisher that I love that he does that everybody else seems to hate. But you need to sell the nastiness of that moment. I need a blood packet. I need something to let people know that this is no longer a comedic gimmick. Somebody who's overachieved in that sort of village people-esque thing that, that he's been doing with Breezango. I mean, it's a joke. I thought they're giving their best in it. But look, it's a joke. And anytime Tyler Breeze is jobbing to Nikki Bella dressed up as her, it's a joke. This guy needs a flip. So with the comedic jobber act gone, you, you let some blood happen on Fandango. You feud for a little bit. But moving forward, to make him truly sinister, to truly get him over as a true heel, he's going to need a valet, Adam. Not a safe and sunny one like he had with Summer Rae upon his main roster debut where it didn't work out. He needs a dark and nefarious valet, someone who will fight for him. Someone who in storyline mode will die from him. Someone, Adam, who can play the believably trashy role if called upon. Someone like Paige. Yes, Adam, nice. we pull Paige out of the bullpen. She's still under contract, all right? She can help Breeze get over in a way that Maurice did in revitalizing The Miz in 2016. Only let's do it in a non-elegant, heavy metal goth, don't bring me home to mom and dad sort of way. Long term, you can even do the love triangle with, with Xavier Woods if that's your cup of tea. Look, that's <laughs> not my thing. You can do that. My point is this. Breeze, rest, his wrestling skills are not the problem. His looks, his selfie stick former model narcissist gimmick, not the problem. That was over. 
his push is the problem, all right? The way he's being presented, he has the goods. You just need to give him the ball and get out of the way. Maybe his ceiling is always going to be the Intercontinental Championship level. I just think this guy's talented enough. He has a strong look. I think we can do some things. Adam, it's time to move that bus because this extreme makeover is complete. That is one hell of a booking job for Tyler Breeze. Love it. Nothing I would change. I think, you know, I gave you some, some crap last week about your four horsemen idea, your, the revitalization of it. I liked it a lot. I had a couple changes. No changes here for Tyler Breeze. I don't even, I'm almost speechless. It's so good. Um, for me, my guy is Apollo Cruz. It's not really a makeover for Apollo Cruz because he doesn't have a gimmick. I mean, he's a guy who's really athletic and he doesn't have any personality. So what I want to do with Apollo Cruz, I want to, and they gave a little hint so there might be some type of feud or angle with this. But what I want to happen is I actually want Apollo Crews to team up with Titus O'Neil, who I'm a big fan of. I love his just pure athleticism in the ring. He's really good on the mic. They can be a, be a heel team if they need to be. They could bring back Teddy Long to manage both of them. Oh, and yes. Of, and all of a sudden, you have a legitimate tag team that's competing in this SmackDown space. Pure athleticism. One guy on the mic, one guy not. One guy really big, one guy small. It's just the classic pairing of some of, of a team and you have that manager who can help with the mic work and stuff yeah i don't know what the name would be I, I didn't go that far i didn't go nearly as far as you in booking this but i saw that little hint of um you know of, of a storyline between them and i said man I, get away from this Titus brand stuff i want something that people can actually latch onto between them their names are cool titus and apollo i mean you can do something really really cool with those two whether it's with Teddy Long, another manager, whomever, I think that is the way you repackage Apollo Crews in the short term because he's not in the U.S. title picture. You're not going to have him, I don't know what he weighs, but he's not going to be on 205 Live, and you're really doing absolutely nothing with him. You're not doing much with Titus either. No, this is actually a, a really strong push. I love that you add Teddy Long. Now you're almost doing Doom 2.0, right, with with Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. You're almost pushing. If you can push them as physical, as strong guys, which they are, I think Titus has done better work as a heel, even though his push has gone nowhere since breaking apart from Darren Young and turning on him. I like this a lot. As long as you give... Apollo Crews something personality wise, some form of identity. You have to turn him heel to have success. I agree with that. But as long as you work something with that personality, I think this actually could work because he can do things in the ring that very few guys can. I mean, that he, he has an incredible look. There is something you can do there, but man, was he rushed. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. Let's slide into as we on the home stretch here. It's almost time to go home. Our uncomfortable conversation segment, one of my favorites already here, Adam, because look, these are conversations that fans don't want to hear. Not us being negative for the sake of being negative, but just looking at things that are working and saying, I don't know, I just don't really like it. Adam, what are you going to kick us off with this week? So mine's Sami Zayn, and you know, I know he's a really big fan favorite. The Smarks love him. I think he's really good in the ring, but why am I supposed to like him? He's annoying. His character is annoying. He's a whiner, and he's a loser. He doesn't win. So what about Sami Zayn am I supposed to like? I don't get it. Um, I, I said this earlier with Braun. Braun's gimmick is the roar. Sami Zayn's gimmick is let's go. I mean, it's it's the two words on his entrance music are his entire gimmick. I, I don't care about him, and I, I don't want to say I could do without him because I think he's good in the ring. I enjoy watching him actually wrestle, but give this guy some type of attitude. Do something with him that makes me care. Right now, to me, Sami Zayn's kind of irrelevant. 
I know that's my take. I know you probably disagree with it. You can tell me what you think, but I know you want to talk about Naomi as well. Well, first of all, how dare you on Sami Zayn? <laughs> first of all, okay. Now look, yes. Has the has the booking been awful? Yes, absolutely, because he loses every single time. Is it hard to put a label on some underground Canadian ska guy who wears a hat? Yeah, maybe the gimmick isn't perfect, but he's so good in the ring, and he connects with fans in a pure babyface way that you don't need layers to his gimmick because there are no pure babyfaces anymore that actually work. He does, and one thing that he does have for his personality that you're missing is the ability to take punishment and come back. It needs to be booked better, but if you look at – when he lost that NXT title to Kevin Owens in 2015, one of the better finishes I've seen in a while, it was a referee stoppage. They thought he was taking too much damage to the head. He kept trying to come back. That's who he is. I, uh, so no, him, I, I, so, I will, so then I will him, sell. So then book, him as your, an, then book him as an underdog because WWE, you know, NXT did that. They did it with Bailey. They did it with Sami Zayn. But WWE hasn't done that. Sami Zayn begging to fight Braun Strowman, to me, does not make him an underdog. If these losses piling up and all this – stuff is getting him down and then he has to fight back in some way, then okay, then build him as an underdog. But they don't even do that. They just brought him in as a happy-go-lucky guy who's kind of annoying and loses matches. That's my problem. All right. Fair enough on that angle. I'll be quick on mine. Look, uncomfortable conversation. I've talked about this in the past, but I know a lot of people are popping for Naomi's entrance, her new look, her wardrobe. Guys, it's not working, all right? It, It takes too long. And the reason why it's not working, it was cool the first couple times maybe, is what is it? What does it add to her character? Her character is that she's athletic and has a little bit of a hard edge to her. I like that for a baby face, she can talk a a, a tough talk out there and back it up. That right hand against Charlotte was impressive. Why are, is she being presented then as a club goer who sometimes, and I look, this is the unpopular take of the week, sometimes is dressed in a way that dumbs down and damages her character, that almost is a... Almost shows it, you know, can be scantily clad in a negative way, can almost sort of take away from the strength. Her character is a strong character and overcome her and yet presented in sort of this random, I, I wear colors and I go to, uh, raves. It just doesn't work. It takes a lot of energy to be sliding down on your knees. There's a lot of dancing involved. It's cool, but it's not cool for her, for who she really is as a character. I, we got to have this uncomfortable conversation. It's not working, and it goes against her in my mind. Yeah, I see your point in general um, that the the glow gimmick doesn't really fit her in-ring persona, but I don't have much of a problem with it. I do think it's something different. Uh, it's something that is selling merchandise, I can tell you that. Um, and to be candid with you, I just don't have much of a problem with it. And if you want to talk about the ring attire, I don't think she's being, I don't think it's anything that's showing too much skin or, or, or anything that bad. So for me, it's really a non-issue. I do agree they could give it a tweak and give her a little bit of a harder edge, maybe a change in music or maybe just, you know, different colors or something like that. I guess it's the fishnets. The fishnets have a stripper feel and I don't want the, I don't think that she needs it. She's a baby face, right? Like you don't need to go there. Sure. You can get rid of the fishnets, but the rest of it, I mean, to me, it's just a non-issue really. I think it's, Something unique that took a character who was kind of bland and no one really cared about and all of a sudden, I'm not saying it elevated her into the, the main, you know, the title picture or anything, but it got her on notice. People noticed, started noticing Naomi and she is succeeding in large part due to better fan reaction and really good in-ring work. And she's pretty good on the mic too. So if it helped her get to this point, that's totally fine. There's a lot of entrances and kind of gimmicks like that and, and you know, p- things people wear and, and stuff that d- isn't really perfect. But it helps them, and this helped her. 
All right. Well, that was the negative portion of the week. Now my favorite segment by far, Adam, right in the feel spot. This is something that when you strip away, of course, the smart in you, the journalist in you, what just hit you as a wrestling fan? What got you to pop this week? It's actually a trio of small moments. I'm an attention to detail stickler above anything else creatively, but I still pop for just outright randomness. And Adam, three separate things really hit me right in the feel spot this week. Elias Sampson's drifting on Raw, randomly walking into segments, stomach strumming the guitar, sitting backstage on a road case, people giving him dirty looks. He got put on the list by Jericho. I popped huge for that. Rhino backstage as well on Raw, back with the Cheez-Its insulting crackers, got the plate flipped in his face as Braun Strowman angrily walked by, and Austin Aries calling TJP, TJ Perkins, Teddy Joystick in reference to his annoying video game character. Those three moments stood out for me in sort of sideways where I find myself laughing. I find myself going, those may have been throwaways, but you got me, WWE, right in the feel spot. Yeah, I'm going to add to that for you. Uh, you know, one thing that happened this week along those lines that you didn't mention also happened with Austin Aries. He comes out to the ring. He pulls up a chair directly next to Neville, who, you know, is as mean and as nasty as a heel can get, sits down right next to him and pulls out a banana to start eating <laughs> and enjoying the match. I loved it. I, I laughed. It's the second week in a row that WWE's gotten a legit laugh out loud from me. And as we've noted before, that doesn't really happen often, but I love that. Austin Aries... He's really developing himself some type of character here in WWE and almost to the point and, and, you know, we'll go on the cruiser weight rant again at some point later down the line, but I think he's going to be a, a main roster, non cruiser weight, regular, you know, mid card title picture talent at some point. I hope he gets that opportunity uh, because I just really like what he's done so far with 205 and with that division. And last month on an episode of 205 Live, he gave the empty banana peel to a fan as during, I'm making his way to the ring. I pop big for that one as well. Adam, 30-second superlatives on the way out. Your match of the week was? I think it's uh, Big Show and Strowman. I mean, when, when you talk about a match, the finish matters, and there was no bigger or better finish this week in WWE. What about you? For me, while while the TJP 205 Live main event match against Aries was very good, slow match that built to the end, I actually liked the fatal four-way women's match on Raw with Alexa Bliss going over. A lot of surprise sort of big pay-per-view feel moments in there. thought it was a strong match overall with the right person winning. That gets my match of the week. Adam, who is your MVP of the week? We both had Strowman last week. Who gets it now? Back-to-back. Back. He's developing a trend. And, and look, it's strong booking from WWE. They're doing well by Strowman. They're doing right by him. Um, I, I'm a fan of what they're doing. And just to this point, I want to see where it goes. I want to see if he's going to really last as this big dominant, uh, you know, guy for multiple weeks, multiple months, or is this really just until they put reins over him? What about you? Who's your MVP? Yeah, I, I give it to Strowman again. I mean, shout out to Charlotte who did have a strong week. Didn't come up big though on talking smack. Like I mentioned, Braun gets it. I thought SmackDown second week in a row had the better show, Adam. It was well, well balanced. I think this was a microcosm of what the shows do. Raw nails those big moments, but it's incomplete. SmackDown pretty steady across the board. And I'm switching it up this week. I really didn't like the way SmackDown was booked. I actually tweeted. I, I'm like, did they change lead writers on SmackDown this week? It didn't like it at all. And it wasn't just the gender thing. And it wasn't just the, uh, the colognes. Um, it was some of those backstage segments. Uh, I felt were really just not good, especially with the women. Um, I could have completely read a SmackDown results uh, for this week and kind of missed the show and been fine with it. For me, show of the week is raw. 
on the way out here, Adam, we want to remind everybody listening, if you if you hear something, if you see something that you like, say something. Give us that review. Go to iTunes. I know there's a, many platforms you can hear our podcast, but go to iTunes and put in that review. Put in that time. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at B. Campbell CBS. You are at Silverstein, Adam. Continue to tell us what you like. And Adam, I think we want to develop a segment where the, the you know, we're men of the people, right? We want to develop a segment where the people have a voice on this show. I, I, want, to, I want people to slide in my DM. Right, I've changed the security seg- uh, settings. It's open. Slide on in. Hit us up with a question that we'll air on the show. Hit us up with a take, a, a a booking scenario. Hit us up with what you don't like about the show. Come at us. We'll respond on air. We want to make people a part of this. Hit us up with that hashtag in this corner. Slide into our DMs. The floor is open if they want to come in, Adam. I mean, come on. Well, so your your DMs are open. B Campbell CBS on Twitter. Those DMs are open for me. I'm a man of the people, like he said. Uh, people's podcast host, you can just at reply me, Silverstein Adam, my DMs are closed. But no, I'll take one. Oh, oh. But we'll take, we'll Nobody take, gets in those no DMs. Gets, very, it's a very select club in those DMs. Um, but no, uh, listen, I'll take, we'll take all the questions. You know, you can hashtag in this corner. Um, just reply to us, DM Brian. We want to do some, you know, fan question and answer segments here on in this corner. Um, it's going to definitely be a large part of the show going forward, but we can't do it without you. Absolutely. Look, there's going to be some boxing and MMA specific episodes coming out in the next few weeks. A lot of big fights coming up on that calendar. You'll be hearing more from Adam and I talking WWE, but thanks everybody else for the, for the kind comments after week one. We're going to be bringing it week after week. Get ready. Retrain your lives because we're invading it. We're coming. Don't forget to tell your friends. We out.